But this series, it's, uh, it's something that I hope is making you think a little bit about some stuff. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the whole idea of Jesus. So if you're ever on social media, certainly if you ever step foot on any type of um, college campus, especially a non-Christian college campus, if you engage in conversations with folks that aren't Christians or maybe have deconstructed the Christian faith, you will hear some things, you'll hear some statements, things like, you don't really believe all this Jesus stuff, do you? That he was born of a virgin, that he was crucified, that he rose from the dead. You don't really believe that. I mean, he didn't, he didn't live. He certainly didn't die. He, he, he didn't perform miracles. He never claimed to be divine. His followers added that some hundred years after his death. And you can kind of hear these questions or these statements. They're not even so much asked as questions. You can hear these statements and you feel like someone's lobbing hand grenades at you. I don't know how to avoid them. I'm just trying to not get blown up. I don't even know how to respond to these things. And it's almost as if science, academics, scholars have settled the conversation, especially when it comes to Jesus. Jesus didn't really exist. And if he did, he certainly wasn't who his followers claim he was. And if you believe that, you are not intellectually engaged. You certainly have no academic credentials because no one in their right mind would believe those things. But the question is, can you look at the evidence? Can you look at what we know not just from the biblical account, but outside the Bible, can you look at those things and come to a re reasonable conclusion that not only can I believe it, but it's likely true. That's what this whole series is about, about learning to engage God with our minds, not just with our hearts. Yes, we need to believe in our hearts. We need to have faith, but it says this in the gospel of Mark, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And I think for too long, as Christians, we feel like we can't engage intellectually. Our minds are half the kind of shut off if we're gonna have faith, and that couldn't be farther from the truth. So last week, we made this statement. The bedrock of the Christian faith is the person of Jesus as revealed in the Bible. On that, everything stands. The bedrock of the Christian faith is the person of Jesus as revealed in the Bible. And so last week we looked at the Bible and what we learned is that it is historically accurate and faithfully preserved. And, and so we can have confidence that what the Bible said then is what it says now. We're reading the same words, but that doesn't necessarily mean that what it says about Jesus specifically is real. Okay, it said it then, it says it now, but what does that mean? So we're going to examine the whole idea of Jesus. Because again, as we said last week, the truth is never, ever, ever afraid to be examined. And if truth is never afraid to be examined, and Jesus said this about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If Jesus is truth and truth isn't afraid to be examined, then if we examine Jesus, we ought to learn some things. And it ought to reinforce our confidence in who Jesus is. So one of the statements that you'll often uh, hear made, bantered about, um, now you'll really hear this if you uh, ever 
have the privilege of auditing a freshman philosophy class at any liberal arts college. If you go there and you hear the philosophy teachers speak, they will make statements such as this. Jesus never really existed. He never really existed. It's as if that's it. They said it, therefore it's true. Jesus never really existed. The reality is from an ancient writing perspective, an ancient figure such as Jesus is one of, if not the most well-documented ancient figures that we know of. He's not just recorded for us in the Bible. Uh, people like uh, uh, Pliny the Younger, he was a Roman imperial magistrate. He, Jesus appears in his writings. Thallus, who was a Greek historian, he's in his writings. Uh, Tacitus and Suetonius, who are Roman historians, he's in their writings. Flavius Josephus, he's a Jewish writer and historian, he's in his writings. So Jesus is, is, is mentioned in so many writings outside of the Bible. And so I just want to play this clip, Dr. Uh, Gary uh, Hamburis, he... he um, he talks about this and he just makes it very clear and very succinct that we can have reliability in the historicity of Jesus. So what is in your mind the fastest way to disarm a mythicist? Okay, Bart Ehrman, an atheist New Testament scholar. Bart Ehrman gives 15 independent sources for the crucifixion of Jesus within 100 years. Now, 100 years is, a, is actually kind of strict but it's a nice narrow parameter for saying Jesus lived. A hundred, and here's an atheist, 100 years time, 15 different sources evidencing Jesus' death. If he died, he had to have lived. So Bart Ehrman calls that one of the two best evidences we have for the, that Jesus lived in history. The other one is that Paul is the best New Testament reference we have. Paul, um, critics talk about Half of Paul's epistles, seven out of 13, being accredited, and you can use them in, uh, in arguing because they're great sources. Well, the best thing Paul gives us is that he was an eyewitness to the eyewitnesses. Paul in Galatians 1 and again in Galatians 2, he went to Jerusalem and got to know Peter, James, the brother of Jesus, then in Galatians 2, John, they're all together, and the topic they're discussing, as Paul tells us, is the nature of the gospel, to make sure they're all on the same page. And Paul concludes, yes, they're, uh, they're all on the same page. But here, that's two great sets of data for the existence of Jesus. 15 independent sources for the crucifixion of Jesus, and Paul knowing himself, of course, Peter, James, and John, the big four, he knows all of them, and he can ask whatever questions he wants to about what Jesus looked like when he was walking and talking in Galilee. So we have, it would be like asking George Washington uh, or asking Thomas Jefferson, what was George like? Asking um, Adams and John Quincy Adams and Monroe and, and so on, uh, how, what do you know about George? And then it'd be really cool if you could talk to Martha. And that's neat because we have the women's testimony for going to the tomb and so on. So you make a multifaceted case for George Washington being the first president of the United States we can do the same thing with Jesus actually having existed. And as Bart Ehrman says, he knows of nobody, no accredited specialist in the field of religion, no matter how liberal or how atheist or whatever, none of them in a, who will have university, college, or seminary positions 
None of them teach that Jesus never lived. The guys who teach it and claim to be scholars are people who don't have accredited degrees. He said with two exceptions um, is Bart's count. The rest do not have accredited degrees and none of them have university positions. So it's pretty well settled that Jesus existed historically. The Jesus that is mentioned in the Bible existed. And because of that, we know some things. Because Jesus existed, um, he started, or as a result of his life, a new religion was started. Uh, originally thought of as just an offshoot of Judaism, it started with uh, some 120 followers. But about 100 years later, by 100 AD, so about 70 years after his death, it had grown from 120 to about 25,000 followers. About 200 years after that, around 310 AD, uh, the estimation is that there were about 20 million followers of Christ. And today, some 2,000 years after his life and his death, it is the largest uh, identified religious belief in the world with some 2.4 billion followers representing about 31% of the world population. So something happened as a result of Jesus' life. We have this uh, whole movement called Christianity. Some other things that we know as a result of his life that people claim, his followers claim that he was a miracle worker. Whether you believe he was a miracle worker or not, it doesn't matter. His followers and people who, who wrote about him claim that he did miracles. They claim that he was um, he was, had a huge following of people. We know that he was crucified. He was sentenced to death by Jewish and Roman officials. And his form of execution was the Roman style of execution. The Jewish style of execution would have been stoning. But the Romans who were in power said, if you're going to kill him, we're going to kill him our way. And so they crucified him. Those we, that we know. We know as a result of his death, three days later, when they went to get his body the tomb was empty. Nobody disputes that the tomb was empty. The Romans and the Jews said his followers stole his body. But what we also know is that his followers claim that he was resurrected, that he was raised from the dead, that they saw him, they talked with him, they ate with him, they touched him. That, that as a result, not only one or two said they saw him, but dozens and dozens. At one point, they claimed that he appeared as a resurrected person to over 500 individuals at the same time. That's what we know. But that doesn't necessarily mean any of that is true. There are people who will tell you, yeah, that happened, but that's not true. So how do we dig into all of this and make a determination of was Jesus who he's claimed to be in the Bible, who his followers claim to be, or is he simply a made-up Messiah? Is he simply a, a tragic figure who existed historically, who died a horrible death, but he was never raised from the dead? He never did miracles. He never claimed to be God. He was simply a, a, a kind of a just out-of-the-way unknown rabbi who was co-opted by his followers in order to start a new religious movement. And the things that he taught, he didn't even really teach. They were just earlier writings from, from, from Buddhist uh, teachers. Because what we know about Jesus today 
is so grounded in what we've heard. So some of Jesus' teachings are iconic. Think about it. Turn the other cheek. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Love your enemy as yourself. All those things, some of his stories, right? The prodigal son story, the good Samaritan story, they, they influence us personally and culturally. But are they Jesus? Or are they just somebody who heard these stories and assigned them to Jesus? So there's a lot you need to look at, dig into. How do you start? I would suggest by starting with what it said about Jesus before he even showed up. See, long before, centuries before Jesus was born, the Bible talked about his coming. Now, we talk about the Bible as, a, as one book, but it, within the Bible, there are multiple books, and they're separated in two sections. The Old Testament, which was the writings of the Jews, and then the New Testament, which was from the, basically from the birth of Jesus to the start of the church. And, um, and, and in the Old Testament which was finished. There's no more writings in the Old Testament for about 400 years before Jesus' birth. So centuries before Jesus' birth, there were prophecies that were made about Jesus. About Now, they didn't always say Jesus. He was called Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one. So the idea was that at some point, God is going to send his anointed one who is going to be God among us. Emmanuel, God with us. And he's going to save his people. He's going to set them free. And he is going to establish an everlasting, never-ending, eternal kingdom. So these prophecies are made about Jesus. So if you start by looking at that, people say Jesus was the Messiah. If he was, listen, if God can't keep the, all his own prophecies about the person he says he's going to send, then it's pretty much game over. Like, <laughs> God, if you can't do that. So there's all these prophecies made. And, and did Jesus fulfill them? So scholars have looked at the Bible. There are some very, what are called major prophecies that are very clear. And there's some that you have to dig into a little bit in order to determine and ascertain were they really uh, prophetic uh, utterances about Messiah. So scholars have estimated there's some 456 or so messianic uh, prophecies. But the major ones that are conservatively the major ones, they're about 48. And so they're well known. You know, we know things um, like he's going to be a descendant from Abraham of the tribe of Judah from the house of David. He's going to be born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem. When he's born, he's going to be, these are all things that were said about Jesus before he was born. When he's born, he's going to be presented with gifts of gold and frankincense and spices. He's going to die around 30 AD. And when he dies, he's going to die through crucifixion. Now, they didn't use the term crucifixion because crucifixion wasn't even a form of death that was known when the prophecy was made. But when you read the prophecy, it's clearly talking about crucifixion. That when he dies... Those that execute him are going to um, uh, cast lots for his garments. Very specific prophecies, all fulfilled by Jesus. So mathematician and astronomer Peter Stoner and 600 of his students said, what are the odds 
of one person fulfilling all those prophecies. Not 456 prophecies. Not 48 prophecies. What are the odds of Jesus, of one person, fulfilling all those prophecies? In other words, was Jesus who he claimed to be? It was Jesus who he claimed to be because if the Bible makes all these prophecies and his followers claim that Jesus was the Messiah, then Jesus ought to have fulfilled those prophecies. Because if he didn't, again, then just walk away. I mean, if God can't keep his own prophecies, he's not a very dependable God. So they did this study, they did this research, statisticians and people who understand math and probability and all that stuff, they crunched the numbers. And they said, what were the odds that one person could fulfill not 456 prophecies, not 48 prophecies, but eight, just eight prophecies? What were the odds of that? And they estimated the odds at this, one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, you might say, I took math a long time ago. What's 10 to the 17th? For that, I asked my teenage son, no, um, who's learning all this stuff. No, no. One, 10 to the 17th power is one with 17 zeros after that. So let me give you an idea. The number 100 trillion is one with 14 zeros after it. 100 trillion is a one with 14 zeros after it. So a one with 17 zeros after it is 100 quadrillion. Now, that's just a big number that you're like, okay, I can't really grasp that. I can't put my arms around that. So let me give you a visual. Imagine uh, you have silver dollars, right? A bunch of silver dollars, and you have enough that you can cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars. So the entire state of Texas, two feet deep, silver dollars. One of those silver dollars is marked with a little red dot, green dot, you, whatever color dot you want. You mix all those silver dollars up. You blindfold somebody and say, just go around and randomly grab one. If you grab the marked one, that's the odds of one to 10 to the 17th power. Basically, it's nearly statistically impossible. But Jesus didn't just keep eight prophecies. Conservatively, we can find that he fulfilled at least 48 prophecies. So what are the odds of somebody fulfilling 48 prophecies? One out of 10 to the 156th power. <laughs> I don't know what that number is, but I'm telling you it is statistically impossible unless it's divinely guided. So is Jesus who his followers claimed he was? I mean, Okay, he existed historically, and he fulfilled all these prophecies, but, you know, they could, have, they could have just changed the details of his life. They could have said he was born here and did this, and, and this happened, but it didn't, doesn't necessarily mean he actually fulfilled those prophecies. I mean, we could rewrite the story and, and, and make the version fit. That's, that's all that happened. Okay, I mean... You have to begin to step back and say, are you trying to hold on to a predetermined belief or are you looking at things unbiasedly 
and honestly. But that's possible. What about this claim about Jesus? Now, Jesus' followers claimed that he was raised from the dead. That is like, I mean, listen, two weeks from now, it's Easter. The whole reason we celebrate Easter is because of the resurrection. If there was no resurrection, we wouldn't celebrate Easter. You know what we would celebrate? Nothing. Unless you're a Jew, then you'd celebrate Passover. But it wouldn't be Easter because Easter is all about the resurrection. That's why for centuries it was called Resurrection Sunday. So you'll hear this. Okay, fine. Jesus existed historically, and somehow or other they made it sound like he fulfilled all these prophecies. But Jesus did not, 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 did not rise from the dead. I mean, Jesus didn't. There's no way he rose from the dead. What I can tell you is this. I wasn't there. But something happened. Something changed as a result of the claim that Jesus rose from the dead. His followers were scared witless. They were hiding behind a locked door, fearing for their lives. After the resurrection, 50 days later, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out and they go from scared to bold. They go from timid to tenacious. They go from hiding to standing in the streets and preaching. They believed something happened, 100%. So did the resurrection happen? Listen, if the resurrection didn't happen, then Christianity is a sham. It is a 100% sham. I mean, there, there are a lot of, um, you ever play Jenga? Right, there's a lot of blocks you can move and, and Christianity can still be okay. If there's no resurrection, Christianity tumbles. It, 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 there, there is no faith. As a matter of fact, Paul, Paul who you may have heard of, wrote most of the books and letters in the New Testament. But Paul at first didn't believe in the resurrection. He didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't believe Jesus claimed who his followers claimed he was. He didn't believe any of it. He, he didn't believe it so much that he would uh, hunt down, arrest, beat, and have followers of Christ, those who believed in the resurrection, put to death. Now that same guy at some point has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and he does a 180 and goes in a complete other direction. But this is what he writes about the need for the resurrection. If, you don't have, if we don't have the resurrection, we don't have faith. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And he's writing to Christians. So listen, he's writing to you and to me. If Christ hasn't been raised, you're all wasting your time. You show up on a Sunday and you feel good. Great. It's a big waste. It's a sham. It's a joke. We are of all people most to be pitied. If that is true. If Jesus wasn't raised, we're, we're the most pitiful of all people. So the idea that the resurrection happened, it, it is the foundation of what makes Christianity alive and real. It, we, we, we say, okay, 
his followers, something happened, something changed. No honest scholar, as we heard, doubts that Jesus existed. Most of them, no honest scholar even doubts that Jesus was crucified. The issue is, was he raised from the dead? Because if he wasn't, there you go. Was he, was he resurrected? Was there a resurrection? Did it really happen? Because if it did, it changes a lot of things. If it didn't, go home. Go home. So I can't tell you this is how you can scientifically prove that the resurrection happened. But if you look at what happened as a result, it starts making you wonder what really happened. See, you can say Jesus, he, he, he wasn't raised from the dead yet. Three days later, his body was missing. The Romans and the Jews stole the body. That's the last thing the Romans and Jews would have done. They wanted him silenced so much so that they killed him. So all of a sudden, if people started saying, no, he's back from the dead, you know how they would have silenced everyone once and for all? Hold on a second. We got the body. He's not raised from the dead. Here he is. You know, weekend at Bernie's. Um, they never produced the body because they didn't have the body. Well, Jesus didn't really die. He just passed out. He came to a few days later, and that's, that's what happened. Or Jesus' followers stole his body. But there's no way I can believe in a resurrection because it's impossible. Listen to me. You're right. It is impossible. Think about it. They, we know today resurrections aren't possible, but you know they weren't idiots 2,000 years ago. We know it's impossible today. They knew it was impossible then. But if the impossible happens, it will rock your world. Just like it rocked their world then. I mean, if you say this is not possible and yet it happens, it changes everything. And you go from scared and afraid to confident and bold. You say, I, I know what I saw and I won't back down. So there's a few ways you can look at the empty tomb and the supposed resurrection. One is this. People say this. Jesus just passed out and he came to a few days later. Also known sometimes as the swoon theory. You just, uh. Now, you know, some of the pictures we see, you can almost believe that. I mean, he's, he's glowing. He's got one little trickle of blood and it's just like, uh. but let's, let's walk through what crucifixion kind of looked like. What happened to him? So here's Jesus. He is arrested, he's beaten, and then he's flogged. Now, when you're flogged, it, we don't know how many stripes he took. It could have been up to 39. But you're whipped with a, a device that kind of looks like a cat of nine tails. I mean, it's got pieces of stone and glass and bone on the ends. It rips your flesh off your body. Oftentimes, people died as a result of flogging, either immediately or as a result of the blood loss. They would die in short order. If they didn't die from the blood loss, they would very often die of the infections that would set in shortly thereafter. I mean, this wasn't a sanitary, let's, you know, clean them up and, you know, no. So he's, he's beaten like that. Then he's made to carry his cross. He is so exhausted. He's so weak. He's lost so much blood that as he's carrying his cross, he does pass out. And he can't continue to carry the cross, so somebody has to carry it for him. They lead him up onto a hill called Golgotha, and there they drive spikes into his hand. We call it his hands, but it was probably this part of his wrist. 
right where all a bunch of nerve endings and nerve bundles are, and then into his feet. It is excruciating pain. Now, let me just point out, I think it's fascinating. The word excruciating, the etymology of that word means from the cross. From the cross. In other words, a pain that can only come from crucifixion. A pain that can only come from being on the cross. And so there Jesus hangs, suffocating. And the only way he can breathe is to push up on the spike that's driven through his heel in order to take a breath. Eventually, when you were crucified, you'd be so tired, you couldn't push yourself up anymore, and you would suffocate. But as Jesus is hanging there, suffocating to death, they take a spear and they drive it into his side. Then he's taken, he's wrapped in burial clothes, laid into a tomb with a stone rolled in front of it. And you're telling me that for the next three days or so, with no food, water, or medicine, that somehow he pops up from that, pushes away by himself some multi-thousand pound stone, and then fights off some Roman soldiers, and then walks around like nothing ever happened. <laughs> that, that takes great faith. Great faith. I mean, the, the odds of that, you don't just pop up from that. So Jesus just passing out and then coming to and walking out and saying, oh, it's, it's just not realistic. Roman, the Roman executioners, they knew what death was. And when they pronounced someone dead, <laughs> they were dead. There's no doubt about it. So Jesus didn't die, he just passed out and came to a few days later. What about this one? You'll hear this. Jesus' disciples stole his body and made up the whole resurrection. Now, this sounds a wee bit plausible. I mean, think about it. Here his followers are. They staked everything on Jesus being Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. And when he died, it all died with him. But if they could convince people that he came back, that not only was he Messiah, but he died and was resurrected. Well, now you can't kill him again. Now we can make Jesus into a superhero. I mean, we can give him superpowers. He's miracle. We could do all this stuff. Who's going to argue with that? We can convince people. This will be great. And then our faith and our sacrifice and everything we gave up won't have been in vain. Now, here's the problem with that. And this is a huge problem. Every one of his closest followers, save for John, who they tried to execute, but every time they tried to kill him, he didn't die. So he just lived out and died as an old man. But all the rest of his closest followers, not just the 12, but so many others, died a martyr's death. They were tortured, beaten, executed in some of the most horrific ways possible. And all they had to do was... Make it, to make it stop was just say, it's a lie. It's not true. It's a fabrication. We made it up. It, it, just say the word and all the pain will stop. And I guarantee you that some of them were bribed. Listen, we bought off Judas for 30 pieces of silver. How much it will cost you? Just say the word. We'll give you gold. Just say it didn't happen. But 
Each one of them faced that moment of excruciating death and each one of them said, I know what I saw and my faith won't waver. I won't back down. You, listen, he died for me and he lives. So if you kill me, I live, but I will not change my testimony. Now, you can tell me that maybe you can find uh, one or two people who will hold on and die for something they know is a lie. But listen, you can't get, tell me you got a dozen or more people that are willing to do that. I mean, who's ever been around teenagers? All right, they all conspire together. Let's try and fool, tell a lie, do this, right? And all you got to do is take one of them off to the side. They'll break. <laughs> so come on now. Not, not one of them reneged their testimony. Because if one of them did, that person would have been marched around the streets of Rome, the streets of Jerusalem, and then the other city, and they'd have said, it's a lie, it's a lie, it's all a bloody lie. And not one of them did. So that leaves the greatest question, okay, something happened. Jesus existed historically, he fulfilled all these things, and all right, Somehow or other, he came back, but, you know, there's a lot of loose ends there. But all of that, it doesn't matter because I know this, Jesus never claimed to be God. Listen, he never claimed to be God. That was added later. That was added later. He never claimed to be God. He never said he was God. I mean, someone claiming to be God is out of their mind, right? Well, we're going to talk about that. But did Jesus ever claim divinity? Did he ever say I'm God. Now we touched on this last week, but I want to look back at it. It says this in John, the father, Jesus is speaking, the father and I are one. The Jewish leaders picked up rocks again to stone him to death for blasphemy because you, a man, are claiming to be God. So when Jesus said the father and I are one, they heard it as blasphemy and the blasphemy is that you are claiming to be God. So in the Jewish leader's mind, now, we have to think in terms of what was happening historically. When a Jewish person heard that, when they said blasphemy, they were saying, you're claiming to be God. So you're saying, well, and, and some people will say this. Well, that's in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is the last one written. In the earlier accounts, the earlier Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus doesn't claim divinity. John added that later. Well, first, let me say John is indeed the last of the gospel accounts written. Absolutely. Um, one of the reasons that John makes it abundantly clear, because he emphasizes this repeatedly throughout his gospel, is that by this point, there was a lot of misunderstanding about who Jesus claimed to be. There was a lot of uh, things that were being circulated. And so John wanted to make it abundantly clear this is who Jesus claimed to be. This same John who calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved, he was close. He was a close, close friend with Jesus. But what about the other gospels? Did Jesus in the other gospels ever claim divinity? Well, it all hangs on a statement that is really bad English. So I want to give you the background of it. Um, and it's from the story of Moses. Now, Moses, if you remember the story, um, he is the deliverer of the uh, Israelites from slavery to Egypt. But at one point, he's just a farmer. He's a, he's a shepherd out in the wilderness. And God appears to him through this burning bush. 
And he says, I want you to go and, and lead my people free and, and I'm gonna be with you. I'm sending you, you go. And Moses says, okay, if the people ask, who's this God that's sending you? What do I tell them? What's your name? Every God has a name. Every person has a name. What's your name? And this is what it says. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. Now, if you read that in English, it doesn't make sense. I am has sent you. That's not a grammatically correct statement. The whole idea is this. I am is the name of God. I am is considered the name of God. It's held so holy by the Jewish people that they wouldn't even write out the full word. So they would only write out the four consonants. They wouldn't put the vowels in there. So it would look like this. Y-H-W-H. It's called the sacred tentagrammaton. Uh, and basically it's, okay, here it is. These four letters. We, don't, we won't even say it because God's name is so holy. For years, because of the influence of Latin, people thought it was pronounced Jehovah, Jehovah. But now we believe it's pronounced Yahweh. That would be more of the, the Hebrew way. But whenever that phrase is used, when someone makes it about themselves, a Jewish hearer hears that person claiming identifying with, taking on them to themselves, the person, the nature, the character of God. They're saying, I am God. So now in the three other gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, we're going to look at one of them, but this account happens in all of them. Jesus is arrested. He's being tried by the uh, Jewish leaders and they ask him, are you the son of God? Is all this, are you the Messiah? Is all this stuff that's been said about you true? Here's what it says in Mark. I chose Mark because Mark is the earliest of the gospels written, probably some uh, 10 years or so after Jesus' death. Don't let anyone tell you it was 75 AD. That is not true. It was probably about 45 to 50 AD at the latest. You are the Messiah, the son of, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Jesus said, I am. You have heard, now, that's what he says, I am. What they heard was blasphemy. We hear, I am, yeah, that, those things are true. They hear, you're saying you're God. I am. You have heard the blasphemy. They all condemned him as worthy of death. Jesus claimed to be God. He took divinity on himself. So in Jesus, in every account of his life, in every bi biography, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's attributed to him that he is divine in nature, that he is God in the flesh. He is Emmanuel. And because of that, they wanted to kill him. So Jesus is a person walking around claiming to be God. Here's the thing. He's not the only one that's ever done that. <laughs> I mean, what do we normally say if someone walks around claiming to be God? You're out of your mind. You're crazy. You're not God. I know you. I, I, I grew up with you. I know your mom and your dad. You are not God. You're a lot of things, but God ain't one of them. As a matter of fact, Jesus' own family felt like that about him. Here's what it says in Mark. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. He, he thinks he's God. You know, Jesus. Now, he's the older brother of all of them, so they, yeah, he's always thought he was God to me. Um, but, I mean, he's, he's gone crazy. His closest friends, when the word family there doesn't necessarily mean uh, 
biological family. It means those closest to his life, his friends, his acquaintances. It may have been some of his half-brothers or half-sisters, but those closest to him thought he was crazy. And this is what it actually says in the Gospel of John about his biological half-brothers. Even his own brothers did not believe in him. They didn't even believe in him. But something happened. See, somebody walks around claiming to be God. You say, yeah, the person's crazy, except the problem is there's nothing. Yeah, the person's crazy, except in Jesus' life and the historical record that gives any indication of psychological uh, sickness, uh, psychological break somehow or other that he doesn't understand what's going on in his life. He's unable to... Uh, uh, in a healthy way, relate to people that he's just a broke and uh, a break from reality. There's no indicators of that. But what happens? Jesus lives, claims to be God. He's crucified, and then his followers say he's raised from the dead. Somewhere in that process, his family, his friends, his brothers think he's lost his mind. We know at least two of his brothers become followers of Jesus later on, James and Jude. And they both wrote letters that are recorded for us in the New Testament, the book of James and the book of Jude. They become followers of Jesus. How many of you are ready to fall down and call one of your siblings your Lord and your God? But that's what Jesus' brothers came to that point. Something fundamentally shifted. So you could say, Jesus just passed out. He didn't die. Came back a few days later. You can believe that. But that takes a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of belief. You could say Jesus was out of his mind. You could say Jesus was crazy. But there's nothing to indicate that he was crazy. You could say that the disciples made it all up, that he wasn't killed, he wasn't crucified, they stole his body. But again, Every one of them went to their death, holding on to a lie. More than that, they took everything that he claimed to teach, every value he claimed to espouse, every virtue that he lifted up, honesty, integrity, being truthful, being loving, being forgiving. And they turned all of that into a con. And to what end? There was no payoff. None of them got rich out of this. None of them gained political power. They all ended up dead, broke. They gave up everything. They lost their reputations and their livelihoods. Listen, if you're playing a con, once you realize it's not gonna pay off, you change the game. You don't just play it out. So you can believe those things. But I'm telling you, if you wanna believe those things, then you have more faith in believing what you want to determine than what it is that the evidence and the facts and the record point to. You could say Jesus never existed, but that is intellectually dishonest and academically lazy. He clearly existed. You could say Jesus didn't raise, rise from the dead, but there's all kinds of questions you have to answer. What you have to do is say, I'm gonna wrestle with this stuff when these statements are made, I don't need to be afraid. I don't need to cower. I don't need to say, I just have faith. You can love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can engage your mind. Christianity has always, always been a thinking person's faith. 
some of the greatest works of art, scientific discoveries, uh, medical breakthroughs are rooted in people who have a Christian worldview. Christianity doesn't mean don't think, don't, don't engage. It means think all the more because if what Jesus said about himself is true, that he is the truth, then the truth can be examined and it will reveal that it is indeed true. There's nothing to be afraid of. So here's what I'm going to ask. If you would stand to your feet, I don't know where you stand with Jesus. I don't know what you believe about Jesus, but I do know this. Some of you might be ready to take that step of faith and say, I want to place my faith in Jesus. For the rest of us, I am telling you, like it or not, believe it or not, think I'm telling you the truth or not, more and more and more, we're going to get to the point if you are a follower of Jesus, where your faith is gonna come under attack, and you can be scared, you can hunker away, you can think, well, I have faith, nanny, nanny, boo-boo. Or you could say, God, prepare me, prepare me, prepare me. Because at some point, when the attack is focused on me, when someone says, do you really believe this stuff about Jesus and not just on a chat somewhere on social media, but do you really believe this about Jesus and your life, your livelihood, your finances, your future, your family may hang in the balance? Are you gonna be like the followers of Jesus back then who say, I know what I believe, I know what I've seen, I know he is risen, and if he is risen, then if you kill me, I live, but I will not back down, I will not change, I will not relent on what I believe. I wanna pray that you'll be prepared for when that day comes, if it comes, that you'll say, I will stand strong. Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, Will he find faith on the earth? I wanna pray that he'll find faith in the earth of you. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would stir faith inside of us. God, some of us have family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, and they don't believe. Some of them are fine and, and they'll engage in conversations. Some are antagonistic and hateful. God, help us not to return evil with evil, but evil with good. If people are mean, help us to be kind. If people are antagonistic, help us to be loving. If people uh, attack us, help us to be gracious. But God, help us never, ever, ever to be afraid. What do we have to fear? If Jesus lived and died and rose again, then what can man do to us? As Paul himself said, if I die, I'm with Christ. I win. If I live, I get to proclaim Christ and I live. Either way, what can man do to us? So God, stir faith in our hearts. Help us to believe in Jesus. Stronger, more richer, more fuller. Not because we have academic proof, but God, because we can engage with our mind. We can engage with our heart. We can engage with our soul. And God, we can engage with our bodies. God, you want us fully, completely, wholly to trust in you. Now, some of you here this morning, you may say, I need to take that step of faith. I want, to, I want to give my life to Christ. I just want to ask you if that's something you want to do right now, right where you are, that you would say, I didn't know all this stuff about Jesus. The best part is this. Jesus lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He never made a mistake. 
He never violated God's holiness, and yet he did die a horrible death, but he died in your place and in my place. Three days later, his body was gone from the tomb, but it wasn't stolen. He didn't just wake up and walk out. He was raised from the dead by the Spirit of God. And then 50 days later, on the day of Pentecost, God sent his Holy Spirit into his followers so that we can have the faith to share with others what Jesus has done. He wants to do the same thing for you that you say, Jesus, I believe in you. I've sinned. You took my place so I can receive life in you and then you'll fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can live for you. If that's what you want, if you wanna take that step of faith today, just raise your hand. I wanna lead you in a short little prayer. The prayer isn't as important as the heart in which you believe what you say. But if that's you, just raise your hand. If you're joining us online, click the button. I'm just gonna ask if everyone would repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, please forgive me. I have sinned, I've messed up, and I can't fix it. But Jesus did, he died for me. So I lay down my life just like Jesus did, and I receive new life through Christ. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Help me to live for you, to tell others about you, to walk in in boldness, to have faith, and God, to know that I'll spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. God bless you now. We're gonna end with a few songs, and this is what I'm gonna invite you to do. If you would say, I'd like prayer, about something going on in my life. It may be what we just talked about, but listen, I believe God's got words for some of you. You're struggling with something. There's people that are gonna be up here, prayer teams that have been waiting for this moment. They may have a word for you. Some of you may need physical uh, healing, and God may wanna move in this moment to touch you physically. Some of you may need, um, you just may need encouragement. Listen, I've been in times of prayer and God speaks in amazing ways through people. So whatever it is that you brought in with you, whatever it is you're dealing with in life, I just invite you as these songs are played, come, come, come and say, Jesus, I wanna meet you here because you lived and you died and you rose again and you can meet me wherever I am. He can do something great because he is I am.